Welcome in. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast, our second edition of this week. I'm Tyler Donahue alongside Sean Fitz, and we've got plenty to get into today. we got a little content season piece to start off with. I'll talk about some paydays coming for Penn State players who heard their names called during the NFL draft. Uh, various recruiting items to get to that could impact Penn State. And we've got a great in-depth conversation. And, and those of you who really enjoy you know, getting into the nitty-gritty a little bit on prospect scouting reports and, and really getting to understand the kind of athlete that is coming to Happy Valley when they eventually do enroll, you're going to get a lowdown from Ronnie Torres, the player personnel director for the opening. He was kind enough to give us, you know, 25, 30 full minutes on, on not just Penn State commits that he saw last Sunday at the Washington, D.C. regional, but several different targets quarterback Caleb Williams, wide receiver Keandre Lambert. Um, Olu Fashanu at offensive tackle. So definitely looking forward to sharing that interview with you coming up. Again, Ronnie Torres, the uh, director of player personnel for the opening. Um, and Sean, of course, always happy to engage with you as well. But uh, again, I think the Ronnie thing is going to be really cool. We had a piece on Golden Achumba up on our site uh, yesterday on Thursday uh, based on what Ronnie had to say. And, and that's pretty much par for the course. He is very detailed going through these guys. Well, Ronnie works for Student Sports, who runs the Nike opening regionals and Brian Stumpf runs everything. He's a former Cal wide receiver. I don't think people realize how much time they spend on tape with these guys. It's not just a, hey, throw your name into the ring and get invited to a camp. They, they actually spend a lot of time going over tape and, and talking to people and reaching out for, for information. So they do quite a bit of research. So what he saw of Golden Achumba and all these guys down at the uh, the Nike camp last weekend is not the first time he's actually seen those guys. So um, when, you, when you see the opening invites go out, when you see the, um, I guess the, it's it's very different than you know the camp MVPs are that day for the camp. The opening MVPs are a collaboration of, of film and you know talking to people around them, seeing if they fit in with uh, what they're trying to do down there. So it's a lot more work that goes into it because I see people bitching about you know th- this kid won position MVP. Why didn't he get the invite to the opening? Well, it's not that simple. And these guys actually you know kind of take the brunt of that every time they run a camp and something happens like that. But but at the end of the day, they, they watch a lot of film. They do a lot of things. They do know football. They, they're, they're some really good football minds, as you'll see when we talk to Ronnie a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, a really, um, I guess, underappreciated job that they do at Student Sports, and they do a really good job. Yeah, and, and and you'll you'll see, and our audience will hear that firsthand a little bit later. And, and you and I have been covering the opening for a long time, and uh, Best in the business they, they do their they diligence. Do. Yeah, yeah, and they don't lean on twenty four seven rankings to just hey, we're going to invite the top two hundred guys. They it, there are some guys that have come off the grid for them who ended up blowing up late. And uh, look at the list of alumni who have gone on to the NFL. Enough on the opening for now. We're going to get into that a lot more later, um, but. Content season, Sean, and, and last week we had a little fun, or last episode we had some fun. Let's do it again. 247 Sports, great at providing uh, the content this time of year and, and, and getting us all a little bit more intrigued for college football season. Five on the rise, five teams tumbling was the title of a piece put together by Chris Hummer on 247 Sports. He went Power Five conference by conference, picked one team that, that should be ascending in 2019 and one team that should be slipping a bit. And we'll start uh, with the SEC. Uh, he's got Tennessee on the rise. I think a, a big 
part of that is Jarek Garantano, a guy who feels like he's been on campus forever, uh, former four-star dual threat prospect out of New Jersey, an Elite 11 finalist, and you know started to come into his own last year. There's a new coaching staff this year, but Sean, I've heard about the great recruiting classes at Tennessee. I've heard about this is the year at Tennessee. It seems like year after year after year, so pardon me if I'm not quite ready to put two feet on the bandwagon and, and think that, that this is a year they're going to make a major turnaround a corner. What's Garantano? He's he's somebody's legacy. He's he's a Rutgers legacy, uh, and I helped produce a commitment video in which he announced that he was not going to Rutgers, one of his finalists. So, really conflicting moment. Your, your on my buddies end. were were really happy with you then. But yeah, true pro, true and, pro. And and to get to, to get more back to the the start of this, we're going to be doing some some national stuff as well. Just to, it's an off season thing. We want you to not only follow Penn State but follow everything and yeah Tennessee is it's one of those programs that should be on the rise I mean as well as they've recruited in the last couple of years Jeremy Pruitt's done in uh, come in there and done a good job it's it's a little bit different he's not taking 40 kids a year like uh, like the previous staff did but uh, I mean it's uh, it, it's one of those things where is their win total going to catch the amount of talent that they have and I'm not sure that you know it's going to get there this year but I think they're on that rise um, Kentucky, on the other hand, they lose a lot. Uh, obviously, Josh Allen, Benny Snell going to the NFL. They beat Penn State, but you look at what Kentucky's had. I mean, that a Citrus Bowl win kind of seems like the high watermark for them. Although, you know, looking at the last couple of days, Florida seems to be like seems to me like they could be on this list. They've lost a couple of guys that enrolled in January. There's some some issues going on down there, and it's not really looking good for the Gators right now. Yeah, Florida feels like it could be a ticking time bomb based on some early reporting from that situation. Having freshmen leave campus, highly touted freshmen leave campus, uh, some off-campus issues. I, we'll learn about that. And by the way, we've got a question about that in our mailbag. Yes, there's a mailbag at the end of the show, show today. Took a few questions off of Twitter uh, from some members of the audience. So we'll get into that again. But Kentucky, by the way, just goes to point out that this last year was their dream season in a lot of ways. Decades uh, had gone by before they had a season like that. Obviously, Penn State fans saw how it ended down in the Citrus Bowl. And the ACC, much like Tennessee to me, which is a team that I'm always told is on the verge of, of taking that next step and has done a great job recruiting and maybe has the pieces in place, the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, now, there's a lot of excitement about Manny Diaz uh, taking over there after his extremely brief stint as Temple's head coach that I think everyone has probably forgotten about by now. Um, Tate Martell is, is looking like he's going to be their quarterback. He's a kid I think I covered since eighth grade uh, and, and watched the twists and turns of his recruitment and now into his college career. Look, I'm excited to see Tate out there, but the jury's still out for me on what he's going to be in, in major situations, the power five level as the guy uh, point at the point attack of an offense. Uh, but Miami's the choice here. And then he's got Duke on the slide. And, and I would imagine that also correlates to the quarterback position as they lose Daniel Jones, who got a ton of heat on draft night, but he was a pretty darn good player for the Duke Blue Devils future New York Giant of course um, but uh, yeah Miami is, is is a great defense that's the thing that, that gets me is you look at I mean that is a that is a top 10 defense right there and they you know bring a lot back from last season quarterback is big question mark I'm not sold on Tate Martell he wasn't that great this spring and you know there's been questions about him for for a long long time so if the quarterback can get it done you know this is a team that could win 10 games this year they've got an easy schedule I think they play Florida right off the bat but it's a fairly easy schedule after that especially in the ACC so um, I, can, I can buy Miami uh, moving up a little bit. Duke, they, they just lose a lot. I mean, Daniel Jones is one thing, but they lost a lot on offense, lost a lot on defense. They've got some other 
you know, they've got, I think, Mark Gilbert's there. He was a Penn State target a couple of years ago, but they lost, um, you know, he was a really good cornerback. Uh, they lost four, four of their top receivers. Of course, lost Jared Parker to, to Penn State as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really see Duke doing a ton uh, next year, and they're, they're sort of right, right on that line. And Duke will always have its basketball program to lean on. I don't feel too sorry for those Blue Devils fans. Out in the Pac-12, I think there's a bunch of candidates. Uh, UCLA, three wins under Chip Kelly, five wins for USC last year. They have coaching issues uh, and, and some problems. Uh, Arizona, though, is the pick for a team that's going to be on the rise. But I think there's a lot of nominees in the Pac-12, and that kind of sums up my thoughts on what's going out there on the West Coast. Uh, been a while since it felt like they had a legitimate team that could go and not just get into the college football playoff, but go actually win the thing. Washington was in there a couple of years ago, and it kind of turned out how you thought it would against Alabama. Pac-12 needs to be trending up in general, I think, for the sake of, of college football. Yeah, I agree, and I, I don't really look at that uh, that conference and see anybody that's going to you know take it by the horns and go. They have Arizona here; it was five and seven last year. Should be a bowl team this year. Kevin Sundlin kind of was the definition of mediocrity for a while with eight wins a year over five seasons before uh, before going to Arizona. Uh, he's got Khalil Tate, which helps. You know, if he can throw the ball consistently, it, it could help a lot. But uh, that's a that's a tough one. I don't know that there's anybody that's going to jump jump out at you from the big uh, excuse me from the Pac twelve. Stanford is the one that they've got trending down, which is interesting. You know, they don't score a lot of points. They lost Bryce Love. They lost, uh, you know, they bring back a, a quarterback. But uh, it's just an uninspiring team. They don't score a lot of points. And in September, they've got uh, Northwestern, USC, UCF, and Oregon. That's going to be a tough start for them. Yeah, and, and Stanford, it's it's weird to hear them trending anywhere. It just feels like they are year in, year out, kind of that same program, you know, built to win 9, 10 games, but just can't quite get to 11, 12, which would put them in the playoff conversation. Uh, now, over in the ACC, I'm sorry, not the ACC, uh, the Big 12, Oklahoma State is pegged on the as the team on the rise. Uh, they had a weird season last year. They pulled off some major upsets, and then they had some major clunkers, and I think the result was 7-6. and six. Uh, Virginia viewed as the team that that's on the downslope in the Big 12. Uh, a strong year last year. Didn't get where they wanted to get probably in the long run, but with Will Greer leaving at quarterback, a head coaching change, uh, they're recruiting pretty well right now, but I, I, I certainly can understand the, the reasons for thinking West Virginia ain't going to duplicate what it did in 2018. That's going to be an interesting case study because they lost nearly everything on on offense. You kind you kind of see why Dana Horgelson went to Houston, um, but uh, Neil Brown's got a tough job ahead of him this year. I wouldn't be shocked if they if they lost. To, you know, they've got a tough out of conference schedule. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost to James Madison. To be honest with you, that's where they're at right now. So will be will be interesting to follow from a Penn State aspect. You know, whether they can keep the juice that they have right now. They've got that new coach bump with Neil Brown. They're doing a really really good job expanding into the Northeast for recruiting, which is uh, sort of where uh, the previous staff kind of ignored uh, in a couple of spots, especially New Jersey. Um, they got Aaron Lewis committed. They've got a couple of other guys, um, you know, that, that, that are looking good for West Virginia. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep that thing together because there are going to be bumps. There are going to be losses and they just have to, you know, ride that momentum that they have with the new coach and everything like that. And I think they'll be okay from that aspect, but it could be worth, worth coming back around to. I mentioned Aaron Lewis. I mean, that's a guy that many schools are going to keep their eye on this year. And he seems very sold on West Virginia and Neil Brown. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's probably at this point would end up there, but you know, things can happen. You win four or five games instead of uh, six or seven. And all of a sudden it could, could change some things. So I'm not sure that they go bowling this year. Again, a tough out of conference schedule. They do have to do a lot of traveling in the big 12. So West Virginia, I can definitely buy uh, trending down this year. 
And then I know the fifth and final Power 5 conference we'll get to is the one our audience is most interested in. That's the Big Ten. Uh, both these teams, though, Sean, not on Penn State's schedule in 2019. Nebraska viewed as the team uh, trending upwards or expected to trend upwards. I think that's easy. They finished well last year. They've got an emerging, impressive young quarterback and sophomore Adrian Martinez. And, and they finished 4-8, and eight, but again, I think it was definitely a different team by the end of it than what you saw from the first eight six games that they had on the field and then trending down Northwestern. They lose a, a very experienced quarterback uh, in Clayton Thorson, uh, Hunter Johnson, a, a former Clemson quarterback, a former blue chip recruit, a big time recruit ends up at Northwestern. I think it's a very interesting fit. I don't necessarily, I wasn't as high on, on Hunter Johnson coming out of high school as I think some other people. So I'll reserve judgment for when he actually gets in front of some big 10 defenses down. You don't the road have to here. call out Steve like that. <laughs> I, oh, that's right. Well, okay. Well, it was Steve. Steve was would have had Steve, the Steve great, best Hunter vantage point, and I completely understand. Uh, there was this kid that Tua Tagovailoa that kind of took over that recruiting cycle and and kind of swayed my attention, I guess. Uh, but uh, I okay. think, yeah, yeah I, but that, I mean, I think with Northwestern, they got the facilities. Um, you know, they have a coach who has been there forever and, and loves that program. Um, but, you know, it's hard to see them being able to year in, year out, you know, get in a situation where they're competing in a Big Ten championship game last year. And we know how weird things got in the West last year to make that possible. Well, that's that's been the cycle for them is to, to compete for a championship every couple of years. I mean, the way that they recruit and how they have to be uh, bound by academic constrictions is just kind of, you know, that's kind of the recipe for them. So every couple of years they're going to contend. Um, I, I don't think that this is the year. Again, I'm not completely sold on Hunter Johnson as well. Liked some things he did as a prospect. Well, not not really sure that he would be that guy. Um, but at the but at the same time, I mean, they've got some talent coming back, and it's kind of like Stanford. You don't expect them to to stray very much from the mean. Um, whether that means uh, you know what they used to do, or win win a couple of games in September and then fall off the table, or you know eventually be that nine win team, I can see them taking a step back. But I don't think it's as big of a step as as we look. If you look across the Big Ten, I don't know where that that drop would be. I mean, you've got several schools that you know, underperformed last year, but at the same time, you've got, uh, you know, those those top schools that should sort of level off. And I think Penn State could be considered in this mix as well, where, you know, you go from nine wins and you, you don't expect them to go much lower than that, but new quarterback, um, some, some pieces that are that are moving in and out, new running back and things like that. So I think um, I'm a little surprised they weren't mentioned. I don't think that they're going to be that team that drops off, but I'm surprised they weren't mentioned from a national perspective. Turning around North, or excuse me, Nebraska. We talked about this earlier this week. That Scott Frost has that program going in the right direction. Not convinced they're going to be a top uh, twenty team or anything like that. But to get four wins out of that roster last year was pretty amazing. And he's got Adrian Martinez, and that's a good marriage right there with with he and Frost. They get Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Iowa and Lincoln this year. So whoever scheduled that, I'm sure Scott Frost is very grateful for. But yeah, I can see them. Maybe not, uh, maybe not completely doubling that win total, but you know, eight eight wins wouldn't be a shock for Nebraska. Yeah, and and I think the other team, Wisconsin, eight and five. That's just that's just not really what Wisconsin does lately. You know, thirteen wins, eleven wins, ten wins, eleven wins. That's what preceded the twenty eighteen season for Wisconsin. They still have got South Jersey's own Jonathan Taylor at running back. He's going to be a Heisman Trophy contender potentially. Uh, so I would say Wisconsin also a team along with Nebraska that should be on the rise. Uh, we got plenty of time to preview the Big Ten season, Sean. Let's turn our attention to uh, some great news for former Penn State players, as you know, two. Weeks Weeks after the draft now, this is when you start to see 
the signings take place. And, and the Philadelphia Eagles um, on Thursday announcing they had signed four Penn State products, a couple by way of undrafted free agency and tackle Ryan Bates and DeAndre Tompkins. We've talked about that in the past. There's no surprise that this happened. It's just official now. But uh, two paydays uh, coming for the draft picks of the Eagles. Uh, Miles Sanders at running back, a second round pick. And then they took Sharif Miller with the final pick of the fourth round. Just some details there. We don't have terms in front of us, and and a lot of these things aren't disclosed, especially at this point. Uh, but using Spot Track, which keeps track of, of caps, uh, salary caps, and, and player contracts, and draft projections all across sports, but particularly with the NFL draft, they do a great job going slot by slot based on position, history, um, what a guy's going to get paid. Miles Sanders obviously leading the way among um, Penn State products, five point three million dollars in total potential earnings. There, these are four year contracts coming in as a rookie. Um, so 5.3, obviously that, that, you know, I think Saquon was somewhere around 30 million guaranteed last year, but that's the difference between the second pick in the draft and being picked in the fifties. Um, and then also Sharif Miller, a ballpark of about $3 million. Um, and, and for those Eagles fans out there, you can now get your own number 26 Jersey. I know you saw a lot of giants 26s out there among Penn state fans. I think we're going to see some Eagles 26 jerseys. That's the number Miles Sanders will be wearing. Um, and, and people are like, why would he pick that? I don't think there were many options and 24 belongs to a former pro bowler, Jordan Howard. So, um, just a fun little note there. And Sharif Miller, number 76, perfect you, you fit for a more, Philly guy. You, you found it more fun than Miles did. I saw the, the Onward State uh, tweeted the story about I wasn't gonna touch Saquon it. Barkley's number. <laughs> he was not too pleased. I mean, he's, he's sick of hearing the comparisons. I mean, that's yeah. nothing new. I mean, and anybody that's followed the team knows that. So well, uh, guess why, what, Sean? why you would do that, I, I don't know. Yeah. They share a number. They share a division. They're going to play twice in December. So it's going to be pretty unavoidable. That conversation is always going to come up for Miles Sanders. The only thing he can do is go out there and be the best uh, version of himself. But Saquon Barkley is always going to be in the conversation because they are in close proximity in professional football. Now um, a couple other contracts finalized on third on a Wednesday this week as well. Amani are um, that's projected to be about 2.8 million uh, for a four year contract. And again, none of this is fully guaranteed. I think anyone who follows the NFL understands guarantees are, are hard to come by on contracts. Uh, and Amani are will be working alongside an all pro and cornerback Darius Slade with Detroit. Um, he's a guy, I think obviously he's going to be motivated because, you think about the money that was maybe there in round two for him where we had him projected I don't know uh, you had him projected highest of us but we all kind of thought round two you know this is a 60 70 picks later that's going to impact the bank account initially but he'll have an opportunity to go earn another contract and then Trace McSorley um, again going in the sixth round to the Baltimore Ravens he signed first among all Penn State players who were drafted um, he's going to get just shy of 2.7 million over the course of four years based on these uh, rookie contract projections again from spot track um, the money that we're talking about for some of these quarterbacks drafted earlier Kyler Murray Daniel Jones Dwayne Haskins it's insane they're going to get more money from their first check and their signing bonus than McSorley is looking to earn over the next four years uh, but McSorley wanted a door open for him in the NFL he found one and you know what he's going to be getting paid an annual salary of, of somewhere close to $700,000 a year so uh, he's got an opportunity ahead of him and, and, and so and again for quarterbacks it's, a, it's about that second contract well for everybody oh, it's yeah, about that second yeah, contract yes. so if he if he proves him himself to be a, a reliable backup or even gets in and, and does some nice things and some team wants to take a chance on him that's where his money's going to come and that's going to be three or four years from now.
Yeah, so exciting stuff for those guys, regardless. Uh, I mean, and the undrafted free free agents, you know, the money is not as great, but they're getting play, paid to play football, and and uh, it's they can, they can earn their way to getting paid a lot more down the line. Those second contracts are unbelievable. Look at the, the contract that Donovan Smith got from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. Uh, even Jesse James going from the Steelers to the Lions. It's amazing the leap in salary that you get uh, when you get onto that second contract. Now, uh, from past Penn State players to potential future ones, um, we thought there was going to be an addition. We addressed this uh, on our first episode of the week, Sean, but uh, Bengali Kamara out of Akron, Ohio, a versatile kid in the defensive backfield, a potential outside linebacker at the next level. Uh, there were some concerns here because their commitment was expected Wednesday, uh, 10 crystal ball projections to Penn State, and then things kind of evolve and, and I'll let you take it from here but but Bill Green has been really on this from Bengali Kamara um, and getting the latest there and, and kudos to Bill who's always does great recruiting reporting in Ohio uh, but but Sean we have some shed l- a light on the situation yeah it's it's an interesting situation because this, this is one that we thought was you know signed sealed and delivered even you know we usually check it over with our people and it seemed to be going in that direction now uh, the word out of Ohio is Penn State wants to see him at camp they want to see him run see if he can be a safety be able to play in that kind of space and you know apparently that was not communicated to him or if it was communicated to to, to Bengali he did not pick up on it so that's that's certainly one of those things. Um, that I would I would label it a miscommunication from from both ends, and uh, unfortunately, you know, it could have been a, it could have been a lot worse. You know, Kamara could have put it out there that he was committed and everything like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, Penn State would kind of be like, "What the hell?" So I mean, it's a miscommunication on both ends. It's unfortunate, I, and and it's interesting now. Where do you go from here if you're Kamara? He's he's taken a few visits. I think he was at Purdue the other day. Um, so obviously he's keeping his options open. He wants to take officials and things like that. And does he kind of swallow his pride, um, come to camp? Because this is a, a potentially embarrassing situation for him. Does he turn that around? Does he come to camp and work out? And they, they could possibly come together. But judging of what we've seen in the past in, in instances like this, and it does happen, you know, it happens probably more than, than is reported out there. Um, it doesn't often come together for those schools. So we'll see if he wants to work out at camp. That's the next step in this recruitment. Uh, we'll see where Penn State stands at linebacker, where they stand at safety, because he is a tweener, um, and, and and I guess go from there. So it's it's an interesting situation, very, very far from being a cut-and-dry situation. Um, but uh, but to track it, we'll see if he gets back to camp. And if he does, I still like where Penn State stands. If he doesn't, you know, the, I think they'll kind of shake hands and go their separate ways. Uh, certainly another defensive back to be aware of is, is um, Joseph Johnson, a uh, young man out of Life Christian Academy in Colonial Heights, Virginia, a cornerback who committed to North Carolina State at the end of March, a couple weeks after picking up a Penn State offer, really liking Penn State um, and spending time on campus. Uh, that one kind of took a lot of people by surprise, and, and you were one of the first to say this, Sean. Uh, it didn't feel like a commitment that was going to last long and at the very least would be tested very often. Ohio State presented an offer just a couple weeks ago, and, and now this week, Johnson backing off of that verbal pledge, reopening his recruitment have to think Penn State's going to be a, a primary contender in this mix. We'll find out, but this is a kid I, I told you coming off of that Baltimore Under Armour camp that I saw him at, six foot three range. He was out there with, with some of the best defensive backs in the country, and, and I thought he was the best on the field that day, quite frankly. So I know he's a four-star, a top two, four-seven prospect. Composite rankings taking further to catch up with that. He's still a composite three-star. Kid's a player, and I think Penn State is going to be proactive here. Yeah, is is a kid where and going back to his original commitment when you visit places and 
basically come out of every visit with a leader. That's a red flag. So when he came out of his visit with Penn State on top, I mean, I didn't put in a crystal ball as, as you think uh, conventional logic would, would say you should. Um, he turned around and committed to NC State, I think, less than a month later. So that's a, a situation there where, you know, you, you are kind of flowing with the wind and going with everything. So when he committed to NC State, I think I said it the day of. I mean, I, this, this doesn't seem like one that's going to stick. And that's not a slight at the Wolfpack program or anything like that. Um, but that's just the way it goes. Ohio State offered last week. Penn State has has remained in contact and regular contact. I mean, he hasn't even hid that. Um, I think he tweeted out last week that Penn State sent him a graphic congratulating him on being a four-star prospect on 24-7 sports. So um, so certainly it's one of those situations where he's keeping things open and, and he decided to, I guess, officially open it up. And I'm sure that the NC State staff is probably better with him doing that than than actually just, you know, doing everything in secret. But uh, Penn State's still going to be in this. He's going to visit Ohio State. I, I expect him back on campus at Penn State. Again, really good player. I mean, this is uh, this is kind of separate from his whole deciding or decision process. He's a really good player. He's got great length at corner, uh, can turn and run, which is not something, you know, when you're six one and a half, six two as he is, not everybody can turn and run with those guys. So he's, uh, he's a good-looking prospect. I think he's back on the board at Penn State, and I, I do expect him back on campus. Uh, speaking of the 2020 cornerback board, another offer going out. And at this stage, these 2020 offers, for me, Sean, at least, uh, you know, they kind of perk your ears up a little bit because we're getting very accustomed to 2021 being the class that is getting the most volume of scholarship offers. This one going out in Texas on Thursday, Jahari Rogers. He's a top 247 prospect. He's considered a top 20 cornerback in the composite rankings. Uh, dual threat quarterback down there in Texas, 45 touchdowns, 3,500 yards last year. Just a dynamic athlete. Arkansas has been considered a primary contender here, but dynamics have changed. Penn State has offered him. Georgia has offered him. Notre Dame, Nebraska, Tennessee, all just in the recent weeks. Don't necessarily know what to make of this. I haven't spoken with Jahari Rogers personally, but again, this is a 2020 prospect, so I'm interested. Yeah, not really sure where Penn State's going at corner. Of course, Joseph Johnson's in there, uh, a couple of other guys, you know, sort of on the the, the edge of that region. So, you know, they're going to go out at corner and, and look at guys in Texas and Florida and wouldn't be shocked to see a couple of those guys pop up on visits. Not sure if it's going to be Rogers, but it's it's one of those uh, one of those situations. Moving on, uh, yeah, it, we, we talked, or John Garcia posted on the site earlier this week, a Joe, a Joe, a Canadian kid. He's blowing up in Florida, and uh, yeah, you sent that one to me to pronounce it. I know you did, um, but he's he's from Ottawa. He's uh, he's playing down in Florida, and this is a kid that, that Penn State's shown some increased interest to. Those uh, there, there always seem to be those Canadian prospects that pop up as, as these raw physical specimens that need to, to refine their game, and you don't want to pigeonhole anyone in there Malik Maiga was uh was one of those guys down at the the, the DC opening but yeah this is a situation where Penn State uh, it can be appealing I mean he's he's in Clearwater Florida but at the same time he wants to be closer to to his family up in Canada so I think Penn State given the chance to host him on a visit uh, can make a very good impression yeah, six foot three, two ten, and a couple dozen offers coming. I think most of them since he made that transition down to, to Clearwater, and it's an interesting kind of intersection of, of two Penn State recruiting dynamics: the Canadian thing, and and then the West Coast of Florida, where they've had you know nice nice job on the golf course, coast getting some players in recent years. And uh, I think you know if he does get to campus, you put him right there with the, with the Ottawa guys: uh, Jonathan Sutherland, uh, Jesse Lucetta. Make them make him feel as possible at home as he can, and. 
but this kid has a ton of options. And John John mentioned Alabama was among uh, college programs represented at, at their practice on Thursday, just getting a closer look at this kid. So he's a 2020 guy, and, and his recruitment is pretty condensed. It makes you wonder if he was down, uh, you know, in Florida since throughout of high school. How much would he be on the radar, and would this be some kind of five-star situation? Uh, but really, a Joe, a Joe, interesting name, interesting recruitment. Um, before we get to Ronnie Torres, again, the player personnel director from the opening, Sean, um, he's going to break it down in a big way. Just wanted to make sure you didn't want to empty anything else out of your notebook uh, from Sunday when you were down at, there at the D.C. Regional. Just kind of talking in, in Penn State terms, sort of a medium buzz right there, uh, right now, because it's um, it, it's probably less than you would have expected coming into the cycle. Of course, Brian Bressy, a big part of that, but a, a medium buzz, a solid amount of guys um, mentioning it. But a lot of those guys are Dematha guys, Gonzaga guys, those WCAC schools, uh, not so much the the public guys or St. Francis or anything like that in Baltimore. So. Probably just a, on the whole, just kind of a, a, a lukewarm medium buzz right there. A lot of guys like Tyler Bowen. A lot of coaches and coaching staffs down there like Tyler Bowen, but it's just not that doesn't have that flash right now. We saw Mikhail Sherman from a five-star linebacker from from St. John's sort of. Uh, I was committed to Georgia last night, sort of went another direction from Penn State fairly early in the process, so that's not a complete surprise. But really, I mean, you, you'd like to be doing better down there, doing solid. I think, and I think we're talking about this on the whole for Penn State with the momentum that they have or the momentum that they seemingly la- uh, lacked. I think they're they're coming through that rush rough patch, and I think they're sort of moving more moving away from you know the the everybody. You know, it just seems like everybody's going everywhere else. That's uh, not obviously not the case with ten commitments and and a top ten recruiting class, which is a number that you know you can play around with and and make a couple of things out of it. But yeah, I think they're moving away from that rough patch. Uh, you know, stepping forward, and they're going to secure the class and, and and take a couple of steps here. In June, uh, I think the, the that recruiting weekend in June 22nd, and I'm rambling here, but that recruiting weekend in June 22nd is going to be a really big one uh, for Penn State. They're going to have a bunch of guys on campus for, for official visits. So we'll probably know a little bit more about uh, where Penn State stands coming out. But but I like where they're going in, in the direction right now, whereas a month ago it really didn't seem in, in that uh, situation. And they do have another notable recruiting event May 18th coming up. Uh, already heard from, from a few of the 2021 targets, uh, notably tackles Tristan Lee, Landon Tengwall. They'll be on campus. So some some key dates and, and obviously the on-campus camps and, and things are about to get rolling again on the recruiting trail and we'll be covering all that. Um, now, we will get to some more, uh, uh, actually not more, but we'll get to some mailbag questions for the first time in a long time at the end of the show, but right now we're going to shift gears, uh, get into it with uh, Ronnie Torres. And if you want to feel good, some positive vibes about this Penn State recruiting class, you're going to want to listen to this. As promised, we're going to get into a conversation now with one of the prominent figures on the spring camp circuit. Ronnie Torres uh, has worked with student sports and the opening circuit for six years now. Uh, And I've had a chance to check in with Ronnie several times over the years that regarding players who have gone to Penn State, gone on to other things, many of them now making a lot of money in the NFL. Uh, We're going to put the focus on a few future Penn State players and a few targets out there based on what he saw down at the Washington, D.C. regional camp this past Sunday. As we talked about earlier, our Sean Fitz was there, Brian Doan was there, uh, Steve Wiltfong was there, 24-7, well-represented, but always love to get the staff's perspective Ronnie, first off, thanks for giving us the time, and and thanks for making your debut here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Of course, man. Uh, Yeah, fired up to be on. Definitely unwinding from a long weekend in D.C., 12 to 14 stops. Uh, We got two more camps, so yeah, uh, looking forward to getting after it with you. 
Ronnie's a, a former uh, Division One football player who is now the director of player personnel at the opening, and it is a massive undertaking. He he goes from decompressing and watching huddle tapes at home for a couple of days to hitting the road again and getting to another camp, and it is a, a long process. And I know it all leads to uh, Texas and 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 the the big the big finals, and we'll talk about that in a minute because an invitation went out uh, to one of these Penn State commits, and let's start there actually, Ronnie. Golden Achumba. This is a guy who committed to Penn State in April. He was one of four offensive linemen who committed to the Nittany Lions in the month of April. And you got a first-hand look at him on Sunday. He ended up getting uh, into that final five offensive line group. He ended up receiving an invitation to the opening finals. He is heading to Texas. What stood out about him? Uh, just kind of going into each week as we're kind of, you know, at a new facility, new new camp, uh, new region each week, you know, you go into it kind of trying to watch as much tape as you can on the kid before you get in there. Because as we, you know, camp starts, you uh, usually only have two uh, two to three hours, you know, with them. So, you know, with, with Golden and just kind of watching his tape uh, going into the camp, you know, I kind of try to draw comparisons from guys that we've seen in the past, you know, who've, who've kind of turned into, you know, prominent college football stars and NFL stars and different things like that. So with Golden, I think the thing that kind of jumps out right at you is, is his physicality. And I kind of drew the comparison right away at Jawan Taylor, the uh, second-round draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars in this past draft. Um, just in terms of, I mean, just, you know, a massive, massive body that kind of jumps off at the screen at you, uh, measured in at 6'5", 320. And, yeah, he's just a massive body with bad intentions, and, and that really – pops out of you on tape and then you know obviously in the camp setting when you know he got in there you you saw that uh in one-on-ones you know just powerful upper body powerful hands once he kind of is able to get a hold of you it's just kind of over and i think i kind of read somewhere or saw something afterwards that you know he's still relatively new to the offensive line position i i think i read something like you know he was on the d-line or something like that but and then just on top of the kind of performance that we saw in person on Sunday and then also just what you see on tape, there was kind of the the cerebral, just kind of uh, inquisitive mind that, you know, we saw from him. Anytime he had a chance, he was kind of pulling our offensive line coach, Duke Mannyweather, aside to kind of ask questions during drills, you know, would follow up on, on things he learned to make sure he knew it right. And then I kind of saw that at times during one-on-ones and some of the reps that he was getting beat, it almost kind of seemed like he was overthinking things, you know, at times. And, and that just shows me and, and, and showed our offensive line coach Duke that, you know, there's just this, this, this part of the position that he knows he doesn't know. And he wants to make an effort to kind of figure that out and, and get it, you know, um, because, you know, in um, like a, a lot of these linemen in high school, they're just physically able to overpower people just on, you know, pure raw power um, and not really having to work their technique and, 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 uh, and use like their lower half. And with, with Golden, uh, he's able to do that on tape so then you know come sunday you know yeah he's losing some reps he's winning some reps but the ones he was losing i could see it more so him kind of trying to work his feet trying to work his hands and the way he's being taught and different things like that so i think just from an overall standpoint i mean you know he he was just as impressive as any lineman we've seen from a sheer size standpoint from a physicality standpoint and then also you know that part of, of the mental side of the position that you know he badly wants to learn and, and, and badly wants to be able to get it that, that combination of the, the physical frame and then that inquisitive nature, certainly very compelling package deal there for, for Golden, who, as I said, going to Texas, 
Uh, and for those who may or may not follow the opening very closely, the finals, something I've had the opportunity to cover fourth times, I think, all of them out in Oregon. I haven't seen the new setup down in Texas. Uh, past Penn State players who have been out there, Justin Shorter, wide receiver, Ricky Slade at running back, Saquon Barkley at running back, Sean Clifford was part of the Elite 11 circuit that was out there in Oregon. And I know I'm missing a bunch of names, Micah Parsons. So this is a, a, a there's a bit of history between Penn State's roster and this event, and now Golden adding himself to that list. And I do want to note here that Curtis Jacobs, the linebacker who committed to Penn State on Christmas Day, also heading to the opening finals. He picked up his invitation at the DC Regional as well. Um, Ronnie's only one man, so he's not a, a camera in the sky. He was focused a lot more on a different position on the football field. A couple others didn't get a lot of chances to watch Curtis Jacobs. So we're not going to get into that too much. Uh, do hope to have Michael Fletcher uh, on the show eventually, though, to help us break down these linebackers. He does a great job um, on the opening camp circuit. And MVPs at that position at these regional stops have now gone to Derek Wingo down in Miami, another Penn State commit, and now Jacobs. So, Hopefully further detail on those linebackers and on Curtis Jacobs' invitation to the opening finals. Uh, but we're not going to ask Ronnie to, to tell us about something uh, he wasn't looking at. Continuing in the offensive line group, Ronnie, R.J. Adams was another guy who made your final five on the offensive front on Sunday. Uh, I, I got a chance to see Golden and R.J. in action a couple weeks ago down in a camp in Maryland. You saw them at the D.C. Regional. You know, I, I know that they're different players, but, you know, what do you think uh, Penn State's bringing in with a player like R.J. Adams? How is he maybe a bit different than his counterpart? How do those two maybe work off each other? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing with RJ is just, yeah, that, that bully mentality, that just, you know, pure physicality, um, wants to physically impose his will on, you know, his opponents. You see that on tape. But also it's kind of that controlled chaos part of it too, that, you know, that a lot of offensive linemen at this stage have a problem you know, or have, have an issue harnessing, you know, that just, hey, I'm this big, I'm this much bigger than that guy. I can physically overpower him. That kind of aggression at the next level kind of can kind of sometimes work against guys, just in terms of you know um, you know overstepping, kind of getting too far out in front, and then you know getting beat. And the thing with RJ, you just kind of see that that patience in his approach. You see it on tape, and then you know we saw that on Sunday as well, just during the one on ones. Super patient uh, in everything that he does, but at the same time, once he gets his hands on you. You know, it's going to be a, a long day. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was super impressed. Our offensive line coach was super impressed with RJ as well. A bully in every sense. You know, I, I look forward to seeing what that guy's able to do it on the interior at the next level. Super, super, super powerful at the point of contact as well. So uh, a guy that I definitely think will have a, a pretty good shot at making the finals down the road just in terms of what uh, he's shown us on tape and then as well as what he showed us on Sunday. RJ out of Woodbridge High School in Virginia, Golden out of the Mathic Catholic in Maryland, and also out of the region, uh, Aaron Parks uh, from National Christian Academy in Maryland. And, and he is the most recent member of this Penn State class committee on April 29th, and one of those four offensive linemen who committed in April. So you, you had the trio there of, of Penn State offensive linemen. I'm, so far, it sounds like the future looks bright in the trenches for the Nittany Lions. What does Aaron Parks add to that situation? So the thing with Aaron is... Uh... I, I kind of was watching his tape kind of going into the camp. And then there was a, you know, he, he, uh, he messaged me a couple of days before, wasn't sure if he was going to be able to make it out. Uh, then like a day before it, it sounded like he wasn't going to be able to come. And then kind of, you know, so then I kind of drew my, you know, attention more to, you know, a few of the other guys as I'm kind of working through camp, you know, the guys that I think are going to be there. And then kind of the day of 
turns out whatever um, situation he had going on was able to kind of make it out. So he got there, measured in 6'4", 320 pounds. Um, and the thing with Aaron, too, just like the other two I mentioned, you know, just that, that physicality and that just, you know, bully mentality that, that you see on tape translated over onto Sunday and almost kind of worked against him at times because that's kind of the hardest part. And, and you know, we kind of get it with, you know, the offensive linemen and the D-linemen. This is, for most of them, you know, one of the first times that they're going up against that kind of, kind of top, that kind of competition, but not just that competition. You know, they're they're going up against them without pads on, and a lot of the things that they're used to, you know, being able to use, they can't. You know, so it, you know, it's always interesting to see how those big physical guys are able to kind of translate it and harness some of that aggression when when the pads aren't on. And uh, you know, with Aaron, uh, kind of throughout the day, kind of noticed that that was kind of where he was having trouble with. But at the same time, you know, we get it. You know, there's no pads on where he shines is with pads on and he's able to kind of use that big physical nature to kind of overpower guys. So, you know, he was included in the, uh, he didn't make the final five, but he was included in kind of that top 10 that we kind of had going at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's everything that you want from an offensive lineman um, at this stage, at, you know, at least in terms of just, you know, where he's at with, with size, physicality, kind of wanting to impose his will on guys. And, and yeah, I think future's extremely bright for him. And yeah, I like the other two, uh, Golden made you know made it to the opening finals, but I think RJ and, and Aaron Parks have as good a shot as anybody after what we saw on Sunday. Keeping it on the offensive line for one more name to throw your way. He is not a member of the Penn State class, but he is a Nittany Lions target and will continue to be moving forward. Uh, Olu Fashanu, again, another product of that area, Washington, D.C.'s Gonzaga High School. He was also part of that final five. Whoever ultimately ends up landing Olu, uh, what kind of a prospect are they getting? Getting, and, and is he a guy you see on the perimeter at the next level? Yeah, you know, I definitely do. I mean, that's the hardest part sometimes is, is kind of trying to, you know, see who's going to be able to kind of work on that island at the next level just in terms of, you know, a lot of these kids that, that we see across the country just aren't really there yet mechanically and, and technically sound. But the thing with Olu, not just he has that size and the length to work outside, but, you know, the thing that you see on tape is, I mean, I had him in my pre-camp eval. It's probably one of the better and more technically sound at this stage than anybody we've seen on the camp circuit. And, and that kind of also showed on Sunday. And I think that's just a testament to kind of some of those Washington, D.C. high schools, um, you know, in, in, in that area, you know, just kind of seeing some of these kids on tape and you can tell they've been coached up really well. And I think that that speaks volumes to um, his, his school over at uh, Gonzaga as they had a few other guys who just, you know, dominated on Sunday as well. But, yeah, the thing with Olu, that length, the athletic ability, really, really focuses on getting his first two steps on the ground before making contact. And saw all that on Sunday, got invited to the opening finals as well. Uh, one of those guys that, yeah, I think I think he can play, you know, on the interior as well, but I think, you know, he can he can really do some, some special things on the outside. Impressive kid to see on tape, and then even more so seeing him in person. A gentle giant, soft-spoken kid. Um, excited to get him out um, in Dallas at the Open Finals. And an important part of his job uh, for Gonzaga is is keeping his quarterback upright, and he's got a pretty darn good one in Caleb Williams, who uh, for a while now has looked like one of the best in the 2021 recruiting class. And Penn State fans, particularly, I think, putting more emphasis on the recruitment of Caleb Williams with Philadelphia, St. Joe's, Kyle McCord committing to Ohio State in late April. He was a name that Penn State fans were very familiar with early. Sean Fitz, both he and I have, have been talking about Caleb Williams as someone who you know looks the part of, of a big-time quarterback prospect. Do you think that he fit into that mold when you saw him in, at the D.C. camp? Oh, yeah, 100%. 
six one and a half, two oh nine. Um, you know, right out of the gate, had that four five forty, four one two shuttle, thirty six point three inch vertical jump, rating of one twelve. So, I mean, you know, he has it there athletically. Uh, and then, you know, you jump over to the uh, Elite 11 quarterback drills and, and kind of just seeing him throughout the day, he's as mechanically gifted as, as any underclassman and any quarterback that we've actually seen on, on the circuit this year. To top it off, you know, the arm talent is just the thing you notice most. Kind of over the years, you know, we've seen some really good throwers of the football and, and Trevor Lawrence and, and Deshaun Watson and different guys like that that, you know, really have that effortless kind of release and, you know, throw, throw the ball really effortlessly. And that, that's the thing you see with Caleb is not just kind of like an, a guy with that kind of effortless release, but a guy whose football finishes with, with a lot of energy on the back end of it. Yeah, I mean, from, from top to bottom, Caleb is as impressive as any underclassman. And, I mean, shoot, you know, you could probably even throw him up there with, with some of the other guys that we've seen um, from the 2020 class. And, again, Williams, uh, two more years of high school, and then he'll be off to college. So still ways to go in his recruitment. Uh, we'll see where Penn State stands. Again, of note, a projected Penn State starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, is an Elite 11 alumni himself. So moving ahead here at the wide receiver spot, um, someone that I know you were excited about on Sunday and someone that I saw early, earlier this spring and, and really, really stood out to me as the best receiver on the field when I saw him was Keandre Lambert. And he's somebody who has all the offers, I think he would like to see a rankings bump for himself, uh, probably at 24-7 sports. But he's putting a lot of evidence out there on the football field this spring. Yeah, uh, we uh, we actually had the opportunity to see Keandre out at Atlanta camp, which was a super, super loaded camp at the wide receiver position. I was actually surprised that he he, uh, he made it out there, as you know, he's pretty uh, close to kind of that, that uh, Washington, D.C. region. So fired up to see him in Atlanta. It was a, it was a really great group of Georgia wide receivers, but – Jumped out there right away, uh, had probably, I think, if not the top rating, you know, he was right up there in the top five with like a 120, I believe. Four, five, 30, uh, 397 shuttle there, 39 inch vertical jump. But yeah, did everything that you would want to see in that, you know, competitive climate against, you know, some of the Southeast region's, you know, top guys. Just, I mean, really uh, dominated and, and, uh, and we'll actually probably go, go back and invite some more guys from that camp that we saw. It, it was just a, a loaded camp all the right way around. And at that point, after that camp, you know, he, he, he worked his name into that discussion as well. Didn't get the invite on site in Atlanta, you know, but obviously had him kind of towards the top of our big board as we kind of go through each camp and evaluate guys we've seen and things like that. But then kind of reached out to him wondering, you know, hey, uh, you know, a few days before the camp or a week out from the camp, wondering if he was going to make it out to the D.C. region as well. And I hit him up. He was shocked and surprised to see that he was going to be able to make it or that he was able to attend more than one regional. Like he didn't know that he can come to more than one. And so right when I told him that, like, you know, his, his reaction to that was pretty funny as, you know, he, you know, was fired up right away, jumped on, you know, the, the uh, registration link got signed up and, you know, he was good to go, but came out on Sunday, did it, did most of the things that he did uh, in Atlanta from a testing standpoint, it was a perfect, perfect day out there in Atlanta. So a lot of really good scores, but he, he pretty much matched everything he did out there on Sunday as well. Uh, right out the gate with testing, but then I mean, had as impressive as a day as any wide receiver we've had during one-on-ones and during drills. And and I know there's some some Cam Chance. I believe he's Cam Chancellor's nephew. I thought correct. There are some, yeah. There there's some some like the bloodlines are are definitely evident there. He's got an NFL. All, he's got an NFL All Pro in the family. So yeah, he, he's got the bloodline. Yeah, right? yeah. No, but uh, there there is just that. You know, there's. 
a ton, a ton of gifted, gifted athletes across the country, a ton of gifted wide receivers from an athletic standpoint. But I think, you know, as you kind of see these guys go over to the next level and beyond, you know, you kind of look for what are those little traits that kind of separate some of these guys. And for a lot of them, I, I really believe there's this competitive edge um, and just this this want to compete in everything that they do. And Keandre, that, that's just something that uh, we saw in Atlanta against a really, really uh, talent-packed uh, group of wide receivers. And then you see on Sunday just, you know, jumping in rep after rep after rep. I don't know if he lost one, but, you know, he just wants to dominate in every sense and is just a smooth, smooth athlete in doing it. Yeah, he's uh, as impressive as any kid that we've seen on, on the tour this year, and I think uh, the future is extremely bright for that kid and uh, fired up to get him out to the opening finals as well. And Lambert, uh, tell you what, when I saw him, that competitive streak shined, and, and he was not afraid to let defensive backs know when he burned them. He, he would make sure they were well aware of what just happened, and he's a kid who plans to get to campus again to Penn State uh, in the upcoming months. He's been there a couple times. A lot of options on the table, but Penn State there as well. Good relationship with the Nittany Lions receivers coach, Jared Parker. And I want to go back to the trenches for, for the last name we'll focus on here, Ronnie, from Sunday's camp, Koziah Izzard. Now, he's a guy who's is pretty adamant about playing defensive end. I know that's where he's camped. He's looked good out there. Saw some footage Sunday. I saw him in person earlier in April. But I definitely see a lineman with positional versatility. Curious on on your thoughts about his long-term potential, where you think that fit might be for him on the defensive front. Another really good one out of DeMatha Catholic in Maryland. You know, I have to agree with you there. I I think he's he's extremely versatile across the line. Um, I know he lined up at the end throughout the day, but – just looking at his measurables, 6'2", 271. Looks like he's 240 pounds, though. He carries that 271 pretty darn well. And and then to have a sub-540, uh, I believe he was at 499 um, and had like a 4.7 shuttle as well. To do some of those things athletically at that weight and at that size are pretty darn impressive. And, I mean, you know, as as the kind of game grows and, you know, and, you know, the, the kind of not smaller but smaller by, I guess, you know, historically speaking – uh, Aaron Donald and the Ed Olivers, guys like that who are, you know, pretty, you know, similar in, in, in size, but just that, that speed and ability to get off the ball and, and, and beat some of those interior guys, uh, you, you definitely see the same thing from him at 6'2", 271, and probably didn't have as good of a day as he probably would have liked going in, um, just, that, you know, in terms of one-on-ones and different things like that, but, you know, that raw athletic physical ability is, is uh, you know, hard to not see, but uh, I think the thing with him, as well as a majority of the linemen that we see that I mentioned earlier. Some of them, you know, are in that setting for the first time without pads on. Against some really good competition, uh, especially him, he, he had some uh, – he, he was in that kind of top final ten or in final five. He made the final five as well. Um, going up against uh, Anton Harrison, a really uh, highly regarded offensive tackle, uh, where, you know, he just tried to beat him off the edge. Um, three straight reps. I think he won one, probably lost two. But, I mean, I think – that's where he'll obviously uh, grow as a player at the next level, you know, once he's, you know, um, well-coached and different things like that. Uh, just right now, I think he just is so used to kind of beating guys off the edge with his speed. And then if that doesn't work, just overpowering guys. And so, you know, a setting like Sunday doesn't really allow for, you know, some of those power, you know, moves and, and, and different things like that to shine. But uh, I definitely think, you know, he's got all the raw pieces in place to kind of make for a, a really good defensive lineman, maybe on the edge or maybe even inside. I, I think he can he uh, he can definitely shine across the line there. 
Ronnie, you were kind enough to to also go back into the past a little bit because I know these camps stack up and you're there just about every week in a different city and there's a lot of names to know and numbers to know. I, I know you won't soon forget Julian Fleming, though. He's somebody you were excited to see. You got a chance to, to get him up close and personal on the field April 7th at the New York Jets facilities for the Northeast camp in New Jersey. Uh, he's a guy that we at 247 Sports consider to be the top receiver prospect in the country. He is uncommitted, but I'm sure you well know he, he lives about 90 minutes, 90 miles or so away from campus here in Happy Valley, and he was offered before his sophomore year, and he's just about everybody wants to talk about Julian Fleming and whether or not he's going to land in Happy Valley. He's gone to Alabama. He's gone to Clemson. He's gone to all different schools, Ohio State. We're all wondering about that, but recruiting aside, why is there so much hype about Julian Fleming? You've seen a bunch of very talented wide receivers come through this opening circuit. Why is Julian Fleming up there uh, with the elites? I was I was extremely fired up to see uh, him at the New Jersey Regional. I think kind of I, I touched on it with Keandre. I think you know I'll go into kind of his measurables and and some of the other things that that kind of separates him from the other guys. But uh, I touched on it with Keandre Lambert earlier. There's just that competitive kind of edge to him. It's it's a you know I know they they refer you know the it factor to quarterbacks. I, I firmly believe there is an it factor just across the board, you know, and in and, and, and all positions, you, know, you just kind of can see it and kind of fill it with certain guys. And that's the, I think the thing for Julian is that, you know, he's a two sports star, um, really good basketball player, but uh, had just finished up his basketball season comes right out, put up some really, really good numbers uh, for a guy who, who probably hadn't been doing a lot of football stuff for a while. I believe he had a um, pull it up here. Four six three forty four one nine shuttle thirty seven point four inch vertical jump uh, rating of one fourteen point two seven at six feet two one ninety nine but yeah it's it's just like and, and it's not just you know us as evaluators or us you know on tape you can see it and feel it amongst the other campers and 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 uh, kids participating at the event you, you know going through drills everyone kind of can you know can just kind of feel his presence there and that and that's one of those things that are just extremely infectious at the next level you know in the locker room and different things like that. So, and then obviously going in, you know, to one-on-ones, he probably didn't really have the day that he probably wanted to just in terms of one, a, one, a lot of routes um, or one, a lot of reps, but also, I mean, he was getting, you know, everybody wanted a piece of him. Every top DB in attendance that day wanted a piece of Julian Fleming. They know his ranking. They know how, how he, uh, he's regarded and different things like that. So um, kind of what comes with that sometimes is, you know, holding and, and a lot of different things like that. So, he wasn't kind of able to kind of get out as much as I'm sure he would have liked, you know, in, in terms of kind of clean reps here and there. But he's a uh, he's a he's a future star in every sense um, from beginning to end. Yeah, he, he he checks just about every box at this stage um, in terms of size, physical ability, athletic ability, um, and then you know obviously that that competitive edge that I think just kind of sets him apart from other guys. Speaking as someone who had the sideline vantage point there, if there was uh, officials out on the field, there would have been a lot of laundry on the grass uh, during 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 Julian Fleming's one on one routes that day. He was getting a lot of attention. You're right. Someone who had a really good day uh, in New Jersey, and this is the last guy we're going to touch on, Ronnie. And thanks again so much for your time here. We saw at that wide receiver group, Jaden Dotton was an impressive player. Julian Fleming out there, but but one who stood out was a younger player, Dante Thornton. 2021 at that New Jersey camp. Uh, I know that you said he was in that conversation to be a position MVP. A lot of people coming up to me and, and thought he was a part of Penn State's 2020 class because this kid is 
pushing six foot five. He, he looks a bit older. He certainly seems like someone I, I'm sure you're excited to get back on the camp circuit next spring. But what is he already? Because he is Penn State's only commitment on the 2021 trail. Yeah, I mean, at, at six four and a half, one eighty one, just that that length is what stands out to you, you know, which is so important just at the next level in terms of, you know, winning 50-50 balls and, and different things like that in the red zone. But, I mean, you know, that that was the thing that stood out with him in kind of that pre-camp eval as we were looking at him uh, and Marvin Harrison Jr. as his kind of top two underclassmen coming in that day. And both of those guys kind of went at it kind of throughout the day in terms of, you know, Deontay would have a, you know, a sweet rep and then Marvin would have a great rep and different things like that. But I think with Deontay, it's, it, it's that length first and foremost, I think, but not just the length, it's the ability to, the ability and the understanding of the advantage that he has over smaller guys and, and, uh, and that ability to use it. You know, I, I compared him to kind of a, a guy we saw in the past and, and T Higgins, who's at Clemson now. And I could even probably make a, a similar comparison in what we saw from, um, current Nittany Lion, uh, shorter in terms of kind of that has size length, um, and kind of that kind of slender frame at this, uh, stage that I'm, I'm sure he'll be able to add on. 10, 15 pounds at the next level. But yeah, I mean, he's just a really long kid, physically, athletically gifted, pretty darn good route runner at this at this stage as well. And, and uh, I, I really look forward to kind of following along with that process next year and, and uh, beyond as soon as he gets on that uh, Penn State campus. Yeah, and the, those comparisons, nothing to sneeze at, folks. T. Higgins at Clemson was the Clemson Tigers' leading touchdown receiver last year for a national championship team. He's considered one of the top NFL draft prospects in the 2020 class. Um, going into his junior year, and then Justin Shorter, our, our, our audience well aware, top-ranked receiver prospect in the 2018 recruiting class, in line to potentially start this year for Penn State. Hey, always a good conversation. I could We could share a lot of different stories about Jason Away playing tight end uh, for you that one day in New Jersey. We'd go on and on, and, and, and I'd love it, but we'll end here, and, and we'll pick it up. Uh, hopefully after your camp circuit is done, you get a little time to decompress, and we'll circle back with you. But, Ronnie, thanks for the time here, a full half hour. Uh, certainly more than, than you owed anybody, so th- thanks for that. Great being on, and, and thank you for having me, Tyler. Thanks again to Ronnie. Look forward to more conversations with him in the future. Um, as promised, we do have uh, some mailbag questions to get to. A few, uh, Be sure to look out for that on Twitter if you're not following our Twitter accounts, at Lions247 and at Lions247Podcast. When we do ask for mailbag questions, those are the accounts we will ask them from. Uh, so, so take your shot and may end up on the show. Here's the first we get to. Do you think the appeal of having a three-year starter in Sean Clifford gave James Franklin pause in naming Tommy Stevens starter? Stevens probably was the best option for 2019, but for recruiting like Fleming and others and team continuity, I think the idea of a long-term quarterback was more appealing versus facing more uncertainty in 2020. Sean, I'll throw this to you, and then I'll give some of my thoughts. I I think it's appealing, but no, I don't think that uh, that – uh, that that appeal was what made his decision for them. They just didn't see enough of Tommy in the spring to guarantee him the job. And I think that's the way it goes. I think they were fully prepared to start Tommy. I mean, at least people that I talked to February, March, and even in April were, were fully prepared to, 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 to have Tommy Stevens as the starter. So uh, no, I don't think that impacted it at all, but I do think, you know, spinning this into a positive, I mean, it, you're, you're absolutely right in that it can provide a little bit more appeal. If Clifford comes out, lights it up, does some things uh, nicely, 
I mean, you saw how the offense started rolling in Trace McSorley's first year. You've got an opportunity to sort of do the the same thing. Not saying that that's going to happen, but you certainly have that opportunity to do so. You've got Clifford on campus. He can talk to receiver recruits. He can talk to uh, a lot of guys coming up on on the way through. And and, and I think it can have an impact. And where we're at right now, that's basically the way that you've got to spin it. I mean, when you're a quarterback recruiting somebody, I think it, it you take it a lot more seriously when you know that quarterback's going to be on campus when you get there. I mean, Trace McSorley could have talked Julian Fleming's ear off on campus for all we know, but Julian Fleming's not going to be running routes for Trace McSorley in Happy Valley. So yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. But the bottom line here is regardless of any uncertainty you may have to face in 2020, it's about wins in 2019. And James Franklin was going to go with what he thought gave them the best chance at wins. And we've talked about this in the past. If Tommy Stevens 2018 turned out differently if the health issue was differently this spring I have very little doubt that Tommy Stevens is the confirmed starter and instead he's confirmed to be leaving and Sean Clifford's your quarterback so I don't think there was any kind of you know long game here I I think James Franklin would have loved nothing more than to know who his starting quarterback was before spring camp but that's the reality is and I think you're right spinning forward from here um, you can look at it as the fact that Sean Clifford looks like he'll be kind of you know the catalyst for you and again maybe we're putting all of our eggs in the Sean Clifford basket the guy's still got to go out there and win big 10 games Uh, but but yeah he's 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 going to be around in 2020 and beyond you would imagine Um, The other question here, there seems to be something going on at Florida, as in the University of Florida. A ton of decommitments later. Do you see this as a big opportunity for Penn State, considering they're getting official visits uh, from committed players like Bryce Langston and Trevante Tucker? Um, And and Sean, just to go off that, obviously Florida and Penn State have been crossing paths more often uh, with the efforts down the Sunshine State for the Nittany Lions. So, Florida Gators, there is some smoke. I don't know where the fire is, but there's some smoke down there in Gainesville. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier with them potentially trending down, and, and it's it's an interesting situation. They've had four decommitments in the 2020 cycle. Of course, the quarterback, Anthony Richardson, came back around to them, recommitted to them, and but they've already got three decommitments in the 2021 cycle, including Bryce Langston out of Vanguard, Florida. Uh, who's interesting because he's probably going to pop up on campus in June. Leonard Manuel, who's a top 100 kid out of Vanguard, uh, is is expected to take an official visit to Penn State in June as well. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you got people looking around saying, what's going on? You've got Jalen Jones dealing with, you know, an an alleged sexual assault, and he's out of school, basically. Uh, Chris Steele, who was all over the place during his recruitment, I think he committed to like five different schools, whether that be publicly or not. Um, that's, uh, he's already off campus and he's only been there a couple of months. So you see these guys that have been there a couple of months for different reasons, entering the portal and going out, it's not a good look. So I'm really curious to see where, which direction that could go from a Penn state perspective. It could have an impact the way that Penn state has recruited uh, that area hard the last, uh, well, since Jaywan Sider got here. Kevon Lee is the guy that I look to right away. He's coming up, uh, or he was up for an official visit, uh, I guess that was last month. Um, You know, really enjoyed what he saw there. And we have Florida, Penn State, and LSU as the three schools to kind of uh, pay attention to. Penn State made a really, really big impression on Kevon Lee. Sider's been in his ear. And, you know, honestly, if if the tide turned in that direction for a guy that's ranked number 20, or excuse me, ranked number 81 in the 24-7 sports composite, I would not be shocked to see them moving in that direction. So I think you can get some positive vibes out of here. I don't think the Florida program is completely imploding or anything like that, but you've got to pick and pick and choose where you're going to fight your battles, and that's a, that's a good spot to be in right now. Yeah, there, there's some good reporting that needs to be done down there in Gainesville to, to kind of get to the bottom. Some of the early reporting you've seen, 
indicates that this is a very non-football issue that's taking place and resulting in these transfers. Chris Steele, number five cornerback in the country last year, went across the nation to be in Gainesville and leaves after four months. It sounds like it was more of a, almost a morality thing, and, and we'll get to that, but uh, he was the roommate of the quarterback who Sean mentioned the accusations, uh, so... There's yeah, a lot and to delve into there. It's more a lack of trust than anything, and that's what can hurt right. you the most. Really, is, right. is you can you can go in there, and you, I mean, you're not sure what you what to expect from a coaching staff. Are they going to take care of their players? I think is the biggest thing. And uh, according to a couple of reports out there, I guess Chris Steele wanted to change roommates and get away from Jalen Jones, and they they didn't do that for him. Um, whether or not that's true or not, that's 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 a really kind of scathing allegation so it, it says to me do you take care of your players do you trust you know your the coaches and the, the the personnel people that are there so that's where the worst look comes out of it when you're talking from a recruiting standpoint and and by the way Penn State and everybody else trying to recruit Florida which should be pretty much everybody else in college football it, it is a unique situation down there the last couple of years Florida State hit a low point last year I mean it was amazing to see how far they fell in the first year of a new coaching staff uh, Florida seemed to be trending in the right direction, but now this gives me some pause in, in terms of where they are going and their progress. Uh, and Miami, again, for me, the jury's out. You keep hearing about how they're going to turn the corner. Mark Rick didn't do it. People seem to think Manny, maybe Manny Diaz is the guy who's finally going to restore the glory down there. I don't know. Uh, but right now, Florida, you know, UCF, I know they claimed a national championship a couple years ago, but down in Florida, you look across that college football, power five level football down there, it is not doing very well. It's not in a healthy situation compared to where we've seen it before when you could have Florida State, Florida, Miami, at least two of those three competing for a national championship almost year in, year out. So I think it's there for the picking. And these kids now that are 15, 16 years old, they don't remember Miami winning national championships. And they probably barely remember uh, Tim Tebow doing his thing with the Florida Gators. And, and Jameis Winston, they were young too. So these kids don't have the memory that maybe you, me, you know, people who have, who know a lot about these programs. I think Florida is kind of ripe for the picking on the recruiting trail right now. That's my thought. Uh, Sticking with the sunshine state. Sorry. Just going back to Florida state, one of their former players, uh, George Campbell will be a Penn state player this year in 2019. It's his final season of college eligibility. And we have a question about him. Uh, It starts with, we haven't heard much about George Campbell, when does he arrive at Penn State, and have you heard much of a scouting report on him? Sean, you have a, a couple notes on, on when these grad transfers, and he's not the only one, uh, may be here in Happy Valley. Yeah, George Campbell uh, graduated from Florida State last week. Congratulations to him. In the process of setting up an interview with him and his family over the next couple of days, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I expect uh, Weston Carr told me he plans on being on campus for to start on Monday for that first May semester. Of course, Jaquan Brisker is going to be there as well and still working through some things from the high school level. But uh, George Campbell, as far as I know, should be in, in that group. Um, I haven't confirmed it with him, but you know he wants to get on campus as soon as possible and start working. So we'll see what happens with that. I have a couple texts out. Hopefully uh, we'll hear back from them and post it on the site on Lions 24-7. Scouting report, um, not much to add other than what we know about him, a phenomenal top-level athlete who really has battled injuries his entire career, especially core injuries, and they can just linger forever. So uh, top-of-the-line athlete, has not caught the ball well, not very, not a very natural receiver, has fought the ball at times, and really hasn't been a productive guy from that aspect. So I definitely see him as a wild card. I think uh, we, we've, see, we've had the debate about Carr versus Campbell and who can have a bigger impact. I do think it is Weston Carr. But, you know— it, you look at where George Campbell's ceiling was, it was always uh, very, very high, but uh, his floor, unfortunately, was not as high as, as Florida State or anybody expected. So 
not really expecting a ton out of him, but he gives you another big athlete that can run, and, and, and you like a lot of those on his on your roster. Yeah, when, when you passed along this question about Campbell, and, and I went to Google, and uh, a complete scouting report for number one 24-7 sports athlete George Campbell from February 2014, written by Tyler Donahue for a different publication that shall not be named. So long ago, I knew a lot about this young man. I, I have to say a lot of those memories of his high school days have kind of gone away, but I saw him out at the opening in Oregon, and the, and, and the thing with this kid was always, he's always going to be maybe the best athlete on the football field, but can he become a polished, excelled guy at a position? Um, and, and I don't think he reached that point at Florida State. You mentioned some of the medical setbacks that that inhibited his development. But I think with George Campbell, the issue has been consistency as a pass catcher uh, from a you know from a guy who's just going to get out there and be a smooth receiver. Again, the four three six forty yard dash coming out of high school. A guy who I think he's in the six foot three range. You draw it up, and to me, it's a lot like Jawan Johnson. You know, you, you you throw everything on paper, and you imagine what this could could, could be. And but Jawan Johnson, quite frankly, has proven a lot more product, productivity wise during his college career than George Campbell has. And I think both of these players, considering their athletic pedigrees and what was expected of them at different times at at major programs. I'm going to be watching both these guys very closely. Jawan out in the Pacific Northwest, and very soon George Campbell here in Central Pennsylvania. Well, a change of scenery can do anybody good, and, and I think that's what's going to come across for both of these guys. And and Campbell, physically, can he do it? Sure, but has he done it uh, enough for us to think that he's going to be that guy at Penn State? I, I don't think so. So, But we'll see. A change of scenery can do a lot of people good, uh, working with a different coach, uh, maybe pick some things up, and maybe finds uh, finds what we thought that he had coming in as a prospect. But it's uh, it's tough to see right now. I think we're about the end of our train here. Um, it, it's it's been a long one. Uh, we, we appreciate Ronnie Torres coming on. Of course, his interview with Tyler um, was was a good one, and we'll have content from that over the next couple of days. But uh, that, that that's it. Tyler, you got anything else? Well, I think we need to mention to all the mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. Um, I know we're both hitting the road to to visit some moms in our life. So. Uh, thank you very much. And, it, you know, make sure you pick up the phone and call mom at the very least on Sunday and sometime between game seven of the Sixers series and, and game of Thrones, uh, you know, find the time. Yeah. And, uh, my mom may be listening. She, I, she, I was going to guarantee that she was listening because they were supposed to come up to see us, but unfortunately we flipped our plans and my dad usually makes her listen to it on the trip up, which I, I'm so sorry, mom. Um, uh, but happy mother's day to my mother, my wonderful wife, who is an awesome, uh, an awesome mother as well. And to all the mothers listening. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in the Lions 24 seven podcast.